Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Sign up today and get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. With us today is Tom Jocelyn, Senior Fellow with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, frequent tr- contributor to the Weekly Standard. And Tom, you've been uh, finding out a little bit about the uh, Boston bombers and their international connections? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. As the investigation has unfolded, you can see this strong push now in the press reporting to basically say that this was just domestic uh, homegrown extremism and that these guys didn't have uh, very substantial ties overseas. But I think the jury's still out on that, and it's very early to, to draw that conclusion. Uh, in particular, the older of the two brothers, Tamerlan Sarnayev, I think uh, has some very suspicious ties overseas that need to be fully vetted and explored before any draws, anyone draws any firm conclusions. For example, what are some of those ties? Well, you know, what happens is in early 2011, the Russian government warns the FBI that Tamerlan has basically been increasingly radicalized and he's, he's going to travel overseas to hook up with some unspecified uh, terrorist groups. And subsequent press reporting reveals that those are actually Chechen terrorists he was suspected of meeting with. So that's the warning in early 2011. Now, lo and behold, we find in 2012 that he actually does travel overseas for six months. And then he goes to Dagestan and Chechnya, sort of these areas which are uh, really, um, I think, uh, teeming with jihadists and the types of terrorists that we worry about. Um, and so we do, know, we do know that he was radicalized, just as the Russians say. We do know that he made the trip overseas, just as the Russians warned. And what we're trying to find out is who did he exactly meet with while he was overseas. And that part of the investigation is still open, but I think it's really premature and too early to dismiss all this as um, purely homegrown extremism until we know more. What's interesting to me is this uh, report that there was a firefight in uh, Dagestan between an Islamist local leader or whatever, and that uh, Tamerlan posted video of that up on his YouTube channel, and apparently like the the label for the channel or for the group of videos was terrorist, and then later on he took that down. That seems like the kind of thing, Tom, that if you'd already been investigated by the FBI once, and if the Russians had already reported you to the FBI, that somebody somewhere in our homeland security apparatus might notice something like that. Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, here's what's curious about it. You have the warning in early 2011 from the Russians. You know that he traveled for six months in 2012, although the FBI says now that they didn't know he even left the country. How is that possible? uh, there's supposedly uh, discrepancies in the way he was named in the travel records. It's really, I think that's all to be cleared up. I, I really don't know what the truth is there at this point. But they're saying that they don't, they don't know that he, they didn't know that he traveled abroad. So then he comes back from that trip abroad, and then he starts posting all this jihadist material from the very groups in Dagestan and Chechnya that he was suspected of going over to meet with. Um, you know, so you know what you see here is you see this this press reporting this morning in particular, and I just wrote about this at the Weekly Standard saying that his younger brother, Johar, has said that it was just the two brothers that did this and, you know, no one else, and that, is, and that basically they were, you know, lone wolves, even though it doesn't make any sense, you can't have two lone wolves. <laughs> uh, well, well, the bottom line is, you know, we actually don't know that. I mean, that's what his younger brother is saying, but he's not the one who's suspected of having these dealings with terrorists overseas. It was the older brother who's dead and who can't answer questions about any of this. So, really, the fact of the matter is, if you just think about it for a second, the American government is now left in a position trying to figure out in April 2013 uh, who exactly the older brother may have met with from January to July of 2012, months after he left there and returned to the United States, and after a terrorist attack. This is not an easy thing to figure out, and my basic, my big caution here is that people should give it some time and let it unfold, and let's figure out exactly what's known and not known about his trips overseas. Uh, Tom Johnson, what does Chechnya represent in the 
you know, universe of Al Qaeda, Islamist extremists, people who want to wage jihad. Uh, we we can you know figure out what uh, you know the battle around Israel might mean, but what does Chechnya mean to them? Well, you know, one of the big things that's open an open question here is how much the Chechen jihad was part of part of this part of the attack in Boston. You know, either both in terms of inspiration or possibly something more. Um, but in general, uh, the Chechen jihad is is very much a part of Al Qaeda's global jihadist plans, and this is, I think, I think something that's been really miscalculated or mischaracterized numerous times in the public discourse. Right now, okay, Chechens are fighting in Syria. They fought in Iraq. They fought and trained in Afghanistan and Pakistan and elsewhere. So it's not just this local jihad against the Russian government. They've been internationalized a long time ago. And there was a deliberate effort to do this going back to the early 1990s by al-Qaeda to basically turn the Chechen fight into something that's from a separatist fight against the Russian government dating back centuries to more of a ideological global jihadist struggle. And they've been successful in doing that. And today, the main jihadist group in the North Caucasus, the Islamic Caucasus Emirate, is firmly within al-Qaeda's camp. And it doesn't make any sense to portray them as anything other than global jihadists. Why do you think it is the case that the FBI would have a guy that was painted up by the Russians, interviewed, travels abroad, comes back? Uh, one of the reports that I just hear in Boston where I'm talking to you from, Tom, that just astonishes us is that there was a uh, uh, Mercedes-Benz parked outside Jokar Sarniev's girlfriend's place that had the vanity plate Terrorista number one on it. I mean, not exactly subtle people. And yet the FBI... That's a great tradecraft, right? Exactly. But here's my question. On an episode of CSI terrorism, what would have happened after the bombs went off is that the uh, Zarniev brothers' names would be on a list that would pop up of just people of interest to talk to because, you know, you'd talked to them before and because you had them. That list didn't exist. The FBI had to turn to the population in general. I, I, there's a fear, I will tell you, among people I talk to here in Boston and New England, that when it comes to terror linked to Islam, there's a we don't want to know mentality at the national level. Is that fair, unfair, reasonable? Well, I think the way I characterize it in terms of this jihadist ideology, not just Islam in general, it mm -hmm. has to do with this jihadist ideology. And it's always important to keep in mind that most of the victims of jihadists around the world each and every year are actually Muslims. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's not just Islam in general, it's this specific jihadist ideology, which I would say there is this willful blindness now when it comes to, and, and you can, you know, you're talking about why did the FBI miss all these clues? Well, you know, let's not forget that with the Fort Hood shooting in 2009, Major Nadal Malik Hassan was actually emailing a top al-Qaeda cleric, Anwar al-Awlaki, that the FBI knew this, and characterized the emails as being consistent with his research into the effects of combat in Iraq and Afghanistan on American soldiers, even as Hassan was asking and inquiring about the permissibility of killing his fellow American soldiers. So, you know, you ask, well, you know, how could the FBI miss these clues or miss all these details, and is there, you know, is there a problem that we're having right now in terms of identifying jihadist ideologues? There clearly is, and you can point to other examples in, in that vein. And I think that what's happened here in Boston, clearly to my mind, is that at least one character who should have been under, you know, really suspicion for a long time and should have been constantly sort of kept up on uh, wasn't, and unfortunately when committed a terrorist attack. Tom Jocelyn, thanks so much for that update here on the Weekly Standard Podcast. This week's podcast brought to you by Audible.com. Sign up today and get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. Please check WeeklyStandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.